0: There aren't many people in a hospital who get to interact with so many different people in so many different phases of a hospital than residents. They're in our inpatient units. They're in our outpatient units. They're working with our therapists. They're working at satellite locations. And they also rotate through some of our partnering institutions as well. So they're really, in a lot of ways, kind of the eyes and ears of the institution.
1: Hello, and thank you for joining us for this episode of Be Advised, the Mary Free Bed Advisory Group podcast. Today, we are meeting with Dr. Adam Lamb, who is over the Mary Free Bed Residency Program. During our conversation today, we'll be discussing how physiatry residency programs bring value to organizations. My name is Joyelle Pavey, and I serve as the Vice President of the Mary Free Bed Advisory Group, and I'm also the host for today's podcast. Dr. Lamb, let's start with you. Will you please tell our listeners a little bit more about yourself and your roles here at Mary Free Bed?
0: Sure. So uh, thanks for having me. Um, so I am the associate program director for the residency program. Um, before that, I did my residency program uh, training and fellowship in brain injury medicine out in Boston at, at Spalding Rehab. And then I joined uh, Mary Freebed in the summer of 2020. In that role, I, I work with our program director, Dr. Ball, to um, ensure that we're providing kind of a proper training environment and structure for our residents. So that includes making sure that all of our rotations are where they need to be, teaching our residents what they need to, overseeing the assessment of residents, their education formally and informally, um, and making sure that we're meeting all of the uh, Accreditation Council for Graduate Medical Education requirements.
1: So Dr. Lam, you moved from Boston to Grand Rapids, Michigan. What attracted you to Mary Free Bed? So
0: there were a couple of different things. For me, I, I enjoyed kind of the Uh, independent, freestanding rehab aspect of Mary Freebed. I think that that allows us to be um, kind of interdependent um, on our local institutions, but allows us to really partner with everybody. Being independent allows you to have a lot more control over what happens both inside your gates and kind of um, how you interact with those who are outside of your gates. Um, That was something that was really appealing to me. I grew up in the Midwest, Uh, grew up in Northern Indiana, went to undergrad at Notre Dame. Um, And so I'd always kind of loved the Midwest and um, kind of, I think at heart, was always kind of hoping to come back this way. Um, so kind of the stars aligned, uh, there was a position available, um, and it was it was great to be able to come back.
1: Dr. Lamb, how did you get into PM&R? What drew you to the field?
0: You know, looking back, I, I had a family friend uh, who was a physiatrist, is still a physiatrist, practicing in, in interventional spine care. And so I kind of went into college wanting to do rehabilitation medicine, and it, that's certainly a, a unique kind of thing when I joined medical school, kind of still was keeping an eye on on PM&R, kind of looked at some other things, considered neurology briefly, um, but in the end kind of stuck with physiatry. It it really, one of the things I kind of joke with applicants and residents about sometimes is you kind of get to delay deciding what you want to do when you grow up. Um, (laughs) When you choose rehab medicine, if you want to take care of adults, you can. If you want to take care of children and adolescents, you can do that. If you want to do inpatient or outpatient, you can do that. Or if you want to do some combination, you can make that work too. <laughs> um, and so I think that's one of the really cool things about rehabilitation medicine is is there's almost not a person out there for whom PM&R can help in some way, shape, or form at some point in their life. And so it's, it's, it's kind of finding the right time kind of to, to insert yourself into that person's episode of care um, so that you're kind of providing quality and value. But it, I think it's a really rewarding field Um, And I think those were some of the things that drew me to it.
1: So, Dr. Lamb, you are passionate about your field. You're passionate about physical medicine and rehab. What made you think, I want to be involved in leading a residency program?
0: You know, it really dates back to me being a resident. I had really great exposure to some really strong uh, educators and academic faculty at a really formative time in my career. One of my mentors I consider to be one of the best educators I've ever worked with, and he was a, a fellowship director um, there, um, and another was a residency director, and another was uh, the chair of the department. And so I had some really great role models to learn from. I was fortunate enough to be selected as a chief resident, and that's a really unique Opportunity to really kind of get a peek behind the curtain. How does a residency program work? Uh, because you kind of serve in this dual role. You're kind of a, a liaison between both your residents and the administration, and the other way around. So you kind of get to see what are all of the meetings that take place about a curriculum change, or changing a rotation, or deciding to do something differently. It's there's a lot involved in it, and I really enjoyed kind of getting to see that kind of that peek behind the curtain. That kind of gave me a taste, and I knew that was something I wanted to to try and do down the road. When I joined Mary Freebed, Dr. Ball was serving in the the program director role, and he and I kind of pretty quickly hit it off, we kind of realized that, you know, there's oftentimes we're seeing things the same way. And uh, we're kind of looking at problems through we're, we're looking through things through the same set of glasses in a lot of ways. And so I think that's a that's a really great kind of working relationship that kind of just kind of started and, and grew organically. I had a little bit of time at first when I was getting uh, my practice going. Um, so I kind of inserted myself into the program and said, what do you need help with? Um, and from there, it kind of grew into, you know, the role that I serve in today is as associate director.
1: We are definitely blessed to have you, and I know our residents speak very highly of our our program, and so I was hoping that we could start today by just telling us a little bit more about the evolution of the Mary for Bed Residency Program and, and why we started it and how it came to be. Sure. So we
0: we welcomed our first class of residents in 2017, and they were with us for three years and graduated in in 2020. In terms of residency programs, we're still very much um, a young program, um, but I think we've we've done remarkably well given given the the relative youth of our program. When we think about how residency programs come to be, there's really two main ways that they that they kind of grow um, when they're being started. One is that hospitals think of residency programs as a way to kind of grow the services and grow um, kind of the standing of the institution. The other is uh, some institutions look at kind of the resources that they have, the experts in the room, um, the people that they're able to partner with and the people in their organization and think, you know, this is a this will be a terrible waste not to be able to share some of this expertise um, with kind of the next generation of providers. And, you know, my perspective is really that Mary FreeBed is in that second batch um, of programs and institutions where, you know, we've got a, 120 plus beds um, kind of on our main campus. We have inpatient, outpatient, multiple satellite locations on-site orthotics and prosthetics, speech therapy, neuropsychology, comprehensive pain rehabilitation program, among so many other things. And that's so many resources to be able to teach and educate residents with. And so I think it was a really natural kind of evolution of the growth of Mary Freebed over the last five or 10 years before that to say, you know, we're really expanding in terms of our clinical services, research opportunities. Education really is is one of those core pillars to um, really strong top Uh, rehabilitation institutions, which I think, you know, we strive to be and continue uh, to strive to be.
1: Right. And we're on this journey to become a learning health system. So having the residents there and participating in the research kind of helps us put research into practice in real time.
0: For sure, absolutely. Um, it's a it's a core requirement for all residents to be involved in in some component of scholarly work as well as uh, quality improvement process improvement work. Um, so every resident has to be involved in at least one of both of those in their three years here. One of the things that I think is really um, key about residency programs when we think about learning healthcare systems research and quality is. There aren't many people in a hospital who get to interact with so many different people in so many different phases of a hospital than residents. Mm -hmm. They're on our inpatient units. They're on our outpatient units. They're working with our therapists. They're working at satellite locations. And they also rotate through some of our partnering institutions as well. So they're really, in a lot of ways, kind of the eyes and ears of the institution and i think that that gives them a really unique perspective when we're when we're thinking of what quality improvement programs could we do what process improvement is there they're they're kind of on the front line seeing it they're taking call they're taking care of patients overnight um and so i think they provide a lot of really great insight for us
1: that's great you know mary freebed we're really particular about collaboration. And we like to partner with a lot of different organizations and we really emphasize our collaborative approach to improving patient care. And the fact that the residency program is also collaborating with partners, um, I think just speaks to part of our culture here at Mary Free Bed.
0: For sure. One one that I can kind of highlight for us, um, our residents were noticing that there were some inconsistencies in some of the documentation that we were receiving in. So, In a one-month QI project, we looked at every admission that came into our hospital, how many of them had something that was unclear in their documentation, whether it's regards to medications, weight-bearing status, diet orders, et cetera. Um, We found that the number was a lot higher than we would have expected. And so the next phase of that project is now collaborating with our partners to say, you know, we have this data, you know, how do we best partner together to ensure that that those numbers of discrepancies go down, that our information is more accurate that we're receiving, um, Mm -hmm. and how do we overall improve patient care?
1: That's a great point. You described that some of the value a residency program brings to an institution are things like sharing of best practice, team collaboration, um, quality improvement. But what other value do you see a residency program bringing to an organization?
0: I think a residency program really embodies so many of the things that we want our hospital to be. Um, It inspires our faculty to learn more, to teach more, to do more. Um, one of the things that was always kind of taught to me is that there's, there's no better way to, to know something than to be able to teach it. Mm -hmm. So you have someone who's kind of with you on a rotation, they're asking questions, they're inquiring, they're wanting to learn more about the literature. So as a faculty member, that kind of drives you to learn more about the literature, do a deeper dive, stay up to date. Our residents come back from national meetings and conferences saying, Hey, you know, this was something that was being discussed or, or there was a cool talk about this. Can we learn about this a little bit more? I think that those are some, some key things for us. Another being that the ACGME, so the Accreditation Council for Graduate Medical Education, they provide a lot of standards in terms of what a residency program needs to do. But I think a lot of those same standards are the things that successful hospital organizations need to do. So I think having a, a residency program, having a, um, another accreditation body, kind of holding, holding programs, holding hospitals um, accountable and responsible, I think is, is another um, positive aspect.
1: You are listening to Be Advised, our Mary Free Bed Advisory Group podcast. If you'd like more information, please email us at advisorygroup at com. We talked about the culture at Mary Free Bed, and we have this long, rich culture of collaboration. But for the residency program, you know, there's a few across the country. How would you say the culture of our residency program at Mary Free Bed differs from others across the country? And how would you describe the the overall culture of our program?
0: I think we have a a really supportive culture, and I think a lot of that stems back to the support that uh, both Dr. Ball and myself receive from the institution. That gives us the chance to be uh, more hands-on with our residents, touch base with them more frequently. It gives us the chance to really do a holistic review of all of the applicants that we're receiving. All of those things, I think the, the time that you spend up front, you get back so many times over because... The quality of the residents, um, I think, is, has really been top-notch, um, and we've matched some really fantastic groups uh, in the past couple of years as well that haven't yet started here, and um, that'll mm-hmm. be starting either next year or the year after. Um, so I think those are some some things that we're really excited about. There's so many more people who are qualified and capable than we're able to bring in, and so it, it really is, in, in some ways, a, a tragedy of riches in, in medical education and in PM&R especially you know, I think we're able to pick people and, and select and interview candidates that we think are going to be a really good fit for our institution. One of the things I stress with our applicants is that fit really runs both ways. Um, and that I think a, a successful candidate should be interviewing the institution as much as they as we should be interviewing them. Um, because if a resident doesn't feel like this is the right place for them, they're not going to be as successful here over those three years. And so, I think it's finding kind of those people that really embody so much of the, you know, what's really core to Mary Freebed, kind of the the hope and freedom through through rehabilitation. I know we we all kind of speak a, a similar language in in rehab, but I think that it's it lives and breathes a little bit stronger here um, than some other organizations. And I think we have so many residents here that I can think of right now who I think really embody that as well.
1: What's the draw to Mary Freebed?
0: I think in a lot of ways it's it's the support that we have here. And there's a lot of diversity in clinical opportunity here. Um, One of the areas that I think we we draw um, a lot of like-minded candidates is our pediatric rehabilitation. There are are not many rehabilitation hospitals in the country that have as much pediatric rehab exposure and expertise as Mary Freebed. So that's been one area that I think is a particular draw um our inpatient facilities in terms of comparing the size of our hospital to a lot of rehab hospitals nationally we are we are up there at the top in terms of size mm-hmm. and that size gives you a lot of learning opportunity you get enough exposure to see the bread and butter things that you're going to see day in and day out as an attending one day but the bigger facilities tend to draw some of the more less common more unusual are kind of what we call the unicorn cases. Mm -hmm. Um, Those are the ones that if you can see them as a resident, that's going to help you down the road in case you see something like that in the future. Um, So I think that that's a, that's a big draw for us as well. You know, our outpatient rotations also are very strong. Cancer rehabilitation, palliative care, outpatient, chronic pain, um, sports, spine, MSK, uh, stroke, neuro rehab, spinal cord. I think there's, there's just so many different diverse Mm -hmm. opportunities here. I think that that's really Um, one of the big draws for us.
1: Yeah, we're definitely um, very diversified. One thing we didn't talk about and we didn't really touch on right now is um, we don't technically have an academic affiliation with another college or institution or medical school, correct?
0: Uh, So we are affiliated with the Michigan State University. Our faculty uh, receive support through the Uh, institution and organization there. Um, And we do work with medical students from Michigan State. So in a lot of ways, we're independent. All of our graduate medical education leadership comes from Mary Freebed. But we still get some benefit from being affiliated um, and connected with the university. Many of our faculty are adjunct faculty there as well. Um, So you get some benefits of that. But in terms of GME leadership, being able to oversee and run your program, that's all within Mary Freebed. And so In a lot of ways, we kind of get to straddle that line a little bit and uh, kind of benefit from the best of both worlds.
1: Oh, that's great. That's great. You talked about some of these great experiences our residents have, but what are some expectations that the Mary Free Bed Residency Program has for our residents, and how do you ensure they have that valuable learning experience that you've spoken about?
0: Every rotation that our residents are on is going to have a set number of goals and objectives for that rotation that's going to be unique to to that particular month-long rotation, whether it's inpatient or outpatient, adult pediatrics, et cetera. Our faculty are the ones who are setting those guidelines for for that rotation. We'd look at those on an annual basis. That kind of is the, the framework for what we're expecting from our residents, but it's also the what can you expect from us as faculty. So it lists potential teaching topics um, that we'll go through for the month. It's what are some of the reading requirements in terms of articles or book chapters that we want you to read? And all of those kind of expectations are tied back to those ACGME um, kind of core milestones. So what we're evaluating our residents on every six months through um, kind of a number of different domains, patient care, medical knowledge, systems-based practice, professionalism, interdisciplinary communication skills, et cetera, all of those kind of core values to the ACGME or uh, what we're building our um requirements on for each rotation.
1: So you mentioned interdisciplinary care as, as one of your areas. So we, we know in rehab it's a very interdisciplinary team approach. You have nurses, you have therapists, clinicians from all walks of life and background. So what recommendations do you have for like nursing and therapists and other interdisciplinary team members who are working directly with residents to improve professional collaboration and, and really build that mutual respect?
0: It's, it's, I think it's so core to what PMNR does. I think in a lot of ways, you know, Rehab kind of wrote the book on, on interdisciplinary team care. So I think that that's really one of the big strengths of our specialty. One of the things that I um, encourage um, all of our staff members to do and our residents too is that we are all um, skilled in certain areas. We all have expertise in certain areas. And because of that, we can learn from pretty much everyone in the institution and organization around us. Um, we can learn from our nursing staff about, patient care protocols, how are they assessing patients, how are they making decisions in the middle of the night to decide when to page a provider, when not to. Talk with our therapy staff about different interventions, different techniques, whether it's with physical therapy, occupational therapy, or speech-language pathology, even rec therapy. Also working with our patient care assistants, our rehab techs, rehab aides, um, psychologists, neuropsychologists. I think there's there's really you know, no limit to who we can learn from. And I think that runs both ways. They can ask our residents questions, feel free to ask them questions. And uh, I think think we all learn better when we kind of come from it from a perspective of mutual trust, respect, and, and understanding of each member of the team plays a unique role. The more we know about each other's roles, I think the better care we can provide everyone.
1: You're listening to the Be Advised podcast. If you'd like more information, please email us at advisorygroup at com. We're graduating residents, so that's exciting. But where do our residents go after they completed their training with us? What, where have they been placed? Where have their careers taken them?
0: At this point, we have residents kind of on both on both coasts, essentially, east and west coast and kind of a mix of private practice, group practice, and then kind of where do they go immediately after is, is about 50-50 split between fellowships or kind of going directly from graduation into practice, whether that's private practice or an institution. Looking at some of the fellowships that we match, um, we've had residents go into uh, sports and musculoskeletal care. They've gone into EMG, Sports and Spine, MSK. They've gone into uh, Spinal Cord Injury Fellowship, Brain Injury Fellowship, Sports Medicine Exclusive Fellowships, and at a lot of institutions that we're we're really proud to to partner with and proud to send our residents to.
1: That's great. So they've been very successful. So you're obviously screening residents um, very well as they go through the application process. What qualities then are you looking for in residents? Because it just sounds like our residents have been so successful.
0: I think one of the things that we really look for beyond a strong knowledge base, because it's it's hard to make it through medical school and medical training without having that kind of core knowledge. I think the things that we really look for, um, being our admissions committee, Dr. Ball, myself, and our other faculty, are, are really those kind of commitments to rehabilitation. Do people fully understand what it is to be a rehabilitation physician, taking care of people from all different walks of life, different types of disabilities, um, different types of injuries, different goals. Everyone kind of comes to rehab at different points in their medical training, whether it's they kind of came to med school thinking they wanted to do rehab or they find it in late third year, sometimes even fourth year. For me, what we really look for is once people have decided that they want to do rehab, that they've kind of made the full dive and really committed to it. That's one of the things that we look for. We look for leadership experience, leadership opportunities, people who are coming in, whether they were part of an organization, started an organization or a group or a club took part in, you know, whether it's COVID-19 response or local adaptive sports, there's, there's so many ways that people can get involved for it that we look for. And then, you know, one of the things that I always kind of um, talk with Dr. Ball about is this kind of this X factor that sometimes mm-hmm. there's people where they came from some some circumstance, some walk of life where mm-hmm. they're just bringing a lot of kind of life learned. I kind of think of it as the miles traveled to come to us <laughs> right. um, and, you know, kind of how far did they come to get here and. Um, you know, we all kind of start our journeys in different places. And I think if we all come to a place with the same story, we don't learn as much. So mm-hmm. that's, I think, one of the most challenging parts of our job is trying to find, you know, the people that we think are going to be a good fit for us, but are also bringing kind of a diversity and background, diversity and experience uh, to our hospital.
1: Yeah, that's so important that we do the same thing as we're building our teams, right? We don't want people on the team with the exact same strengths. You have to balance those strengths and that helps then promote the overall outcomes and goals of your department or your organization. So I think that's so important, what you just said. So what are some of the challenges that you see applicants having during the application process?
0: I think one of the biggest challenges goes back to, to the number of applicants. Um, when we look at nationally, the number of applications across all specialties increased by about one or two percent this past year. And that's kind of been a reasonable increase in pace that we've kind of seen as more more medical schools open. Um, we're getting more applications in general to residency, but PM&R had about a ten to twelve percent increase last year. So the specialty is becoming. Um, a little bit more recognized, and because of that, a little bit more competitive. Um, So I think that's one of the things um, that's kind of an upfront challenge. From a residency administration perspective, um, there's going to be some changes in in scoring um, for some of the standardized tests that are moving away from a number-based score to a pass-fail statistic. Here at Mary Freebed, that doesn't really change what we did too much because we've never really considered just one number to be an end-all, be-all. There are certain programs, not even just in rehab, that may use that number to kind of screen candidates in or out. It's a way to help them get from having to review 400 applications down to 200. We recognize that's imperfect, that there may be people for any number of reasons had a low score. Someone that we interviewed was a primary caregiver for a parent going through cancer while they're trying to study for this test. You know, It would be unfair to hold that against this person. And so we've always considered a holistic review. You know that you've absolutely given every person a fair shot, a fair chance, given everyone full consideration and and you know that you didn't leave a stone unturned. And I think for both Dr. Ball and myself, that that helps us sleep easier at night.
1: That is so important. I think, um, you know, colleges in general have gotten um, really hung up on standardized tests and scores. And I think you just spoke to the human side of of things. Um, Somebody might be a great physician, but there was just a life circumstance that was in the way at that particular moment in time. But you hit on a couple of things as you were answering that question for me. And one of the things that. That you said is there's been an uptick in the number of applicants, there's been growth in some of the medical schools, but I've also heard that physiatry burnout is at an all-time high. So it's surprising to me that people are still entering the field at, at such a rate and there's probably a mass exodus occurring at the same time if this burnout metric is, is true. So how do you promote physician and resident wellness?
0: I think it's a really important point, and the the burnout rate in rehab really snuck up pretty quickly. Um, if you look back to five or ten years ago in the burnout literature, PM&R was there, but the number has really increased quickly. There's a lot of discussion about, you know, why is that happening? Is it paperwork and documentation burden? Is it um, kind of changes in reimbursement and payers that are kind of changing the way that we take care of these patients, changing what we're able to do for the patients in our clinic, and that kind of leading to more frustration or what some in the literature are now starting to call moral injury. This kind of feel that you know what the right thing to do for this patient is, but for some reason, whether it's insurance regulations, payer source, just a, a general lack of resources in an area, if you're taking care of a patient in, in a rural part of the state who doesn't have the access to the things that you know this person could benefit from, you know, how do you reconcile that? Um, so I think those are all parts of it. In terms of what we do for, for our residents, one of the things Dr. Ball and I really focus on is, you know, how do we make the day-to-day a little bit better, a little bit easier? Because, you know, when we look at interventions for burnout, interventions to try and improve wellness, the things like, like recognition, having a, a pizza party or, or kind of providing a lunch, that certainly helps. If we can do something that shaves 5 or 10 minutes or even 15 minutes off of a day. Then that's 10 or 15 minutes that you're getting home sooner every day or looking at what are the things that our residents are getting paged about overnight when they're on call? Are those things that we can try and fix either through changing policies, changing practice, changing the way that we communicate with our staff who are in the building overnight to try and mitigate pages without you know, having an impact on patient care? the more that we can kind of do those things, I think that goes a long way to supporting wellness overall because it's getting home sooner. It's getting a better night's rest. That's going to leave you better recharged the next day. In addition, one of the other things that we do is we have a wellness budget for our residents and that historically has kind of been there for residents to spend how they see fit. Um, So we support uh, two retreats per year, one in the fall um, and then one in the spring. Um, So part of that budget goes towards those events and that can really be anything that they want it to be, you know, obviously within reason, but also kind of including some team building discussions about what do we do well as a residency program? What could we do better? What do we want our goals to be? But, you know, they've they've gone for axe throwing for one of them. They've gone tubing and rafting down the river for one um, for a wellness event. They've brought in, uh, you know, birthday cakes and food and snacks and things like that for residents. And so that money, I think it's nice in a way that it's kind of it's there for them to use how they see fit. Right. I think that that's better than Dr. Ball or I kind of saying, all right, you have to use this amount of money for this event, this amount for this, right? They get the flexibility. You know, one of the things when we look at burnout is how much control do you have? Residents historically don't have a lot of control They're They're kind of told, you know, you've got to come in for rounds at this time. We're going to do rounds this way. We're going to admit patients this way. Uh, So I think the more things that we can try to do within reason to give, give some of that control and give authority back to the residents kind of within a framework I think gives them a little bit of autonomy. And I think that goes a long way to improving wellness.
1: Yeah. And not to mention, I think just success in in life, being able to make decisions on your own on the spot and not have somebody tell you everything that you have to do. I think that's really important what you guys are doing. And I have not heard of a resident wellness stipend before. So is this something innovative that Mary for is doing? Or have you heard of other residency programs offering a, a wellness budget as well?
0: I think it's becoming a growing thing in, in medical education. Um, I can't say that, you know, we were the first or even one of the first. Yeah. I just don't have access to, to knowing that. Um, But what I would say is that it's, it's certainly becoming more of a thing in graduate medical education, recognizing that, you know, as much as we focus on burnout in our providers, burnout in our therapists, nursing staffs, attending physicians, there's also burnout in our medical trainees as well. They're not immune to the same challenges of medical practice. And I think that there's a, There's an obligation from an institution, its leadership and faculty to uh, promote wellness, uh, kind of avoid the physician burnout and resident burnout when we can
1: absolutely and i think it's um nice too i i see our residents having a little bit of fun i was on tour the other day with darcy touring people through the hospital and um she peeked in to some of their um personal space documentation area and they had a little griddle and were making pancakes back there and i'm like you know at least they're having a little bit of fun while they work <laughs> um yeah
0: absolutely i think that that's um I, I, I don't know exactly when that tradition started, but it, it is one of the fun things that that they do
1: I love it. I love it. I was just like you know they're they're real people they're having fun, yes, they have a serious job and they're they're in this learning phase, but it's good to see a little joy there too. We've covered a lot of ground in this podcast, and I'm sure I could talk to you probably most of the day about our residency program and things that you've all accomplished. But any last final thoughts um, for our listeners about what they should understand about psychiatry residency programs and working with residents in general?
0: You know, one of my closing comments would just be that getting to work with residents and I think getting to work in this role kind of in residency administration, um, it's been one of the most kind of exciting aspects of my professional job. And I, I really consider myself fortunate to be kind of this early on in a career and, and be given both kind of the the trust to get to, to lead and help lead a, a residency program kind of both from the administration and our residents. That's not a small task and that's that's not something that I think any of us involved in the program take lightly. I think in general, it's made me a better collaborator, a better educator, a better learner, and a better physician as well. I'm really fortunate for that. I think that in general, if you get the opportunity to work with a residency program in any capacity, I think that if you've got the time and, and the ability to do it, I think it's a, it's a great one to do.
1: So Dr. Lamb, where can future applicants um, go to find out more information regarding our residency program?
0: Uh, so, for anyone who's interested in, in learning more about us, what I would say is uh, enter into your favorite search browser, uh, Mary Freebed uh, PMNR Residency Program. That'll bring you to our main page. In there, there's a lot of different information about kind of what do we look for in, app- in candidates, what does kind of the interview structure look like. Um, you can get to meet our faculty, our current residents. Um, life in Grand Rapids and, and, and a lot more. Um, additionally, our, our program has a, an Instagram page. Um, so you can follow us on there. It's MFB PMR Residency. And we'd love to have you on there as well.
1: Thank you, Dr. Lamb, for your dedication to the Mary Free Bed Residency Program. We are so blessed to have you. Um, I want to thank our audience for joining us today. Physician engagement is critical to any healthcare organization. When physician expertise is aligned with the organizational goals, clinical excellence is really promoted, and so is the patient experience. Progressive organizations, as Dr. Lam talked about, they seek the new knowledge, they teach new skills, and they implement change in real time to advance our patient care. So if you're on a journey to become a learning health system, a residency program may help support your journey. If you have questions or like more information regarding today's podcast, please email us at advisorygroup at maryfreebed.com. And remember to support your physicians, be passionate about ongoing education, and be advised.